Hello and welcome to episode 172 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you so much for joining me today. Sorry it's a bit late, but my microphone died yesterday after 130 episodes. Have you ever had a neighbour you really disliked and who maybe made life very tricky and deeply unpleasant for you? Me too. But today from Warwickshire, we look at the real family from hell that you really wouldn't want living anywhere near you. Before we start, a huge shout out to Carol Wood who won the Facebook group competition and will be joining me and Mike from the Murder Mile at our next live show in March. Tickets for sale, uktruecrime.com. And also to Miffy who has provided me with so much help recently. I'm taking part in Podcast Live Crime, a podcast festival over two evenings dedicated to murder, investigations and bad behaviour. Join me at Wilton's Music Hall in Whitechapel on Tuesday the 7th of April and Wednesday the 8th of April. I'm recording a show live on stage on Tuesday the 7th at 9.30. It should be a lot of fun, if I can stay away from the bar that is, with podcasts like Red Handed, Real Crime Profile and Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes performing live. Tickets are now on sale at uktruecrime.com. This week's show is sponsored by BetterHelp. That is Better, H-E-L-P. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Maybe you are struggling with your confidence or to get back to normal after a bereavement. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counselling done securely online, which, let's face it, is much more convenient and financially affordable than traditional offline counselling. And by scheduling weekly video or phone sessions, you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room again. You can also log on and message your counsellor at any time. Take a look at the great reviews at what customers are saying about the service at betterhelp.com forward slash reviews and how it's helped so many people. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash true crime, that's better, H-E-L-P, and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And there's a special offer for listeners to the UK True Crime Podcast as you will get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash true crime. Take a look today. Have you tried HelloFresh yet? If not, give it a go today. HelloFresh makes it easy for you to cook delicious home-cooked meals from scratch. Simply choose your favourite recipes from a changing weekly menu and they'll deliver all the fresh pre-portioned ingredients you need to cook them straight to your door. That means no planning, no shopping and no food waste. The helping hand that you need to cook fresh at home. I love the ease of cooking quick healthy food and not having that hassle of trailing around the supermarket where I invariably buy all the wrong stuff in a way. This week I love the veggie tikka masala with carrot and courgette and next week the dinner I'm looking forward to the most is the miso aubergine and sesame mayo with jasmine rice, roasted tender stem and pickled onion. Yummy! Go and check out the menu now. For the simple way to cook fresh, HelloFresh is offering you, as a listener to this podcast, 50% off your first box and 35% off your next three boxes. Just head to hellofresh.co.uk and use the code CRIME to receive 50% off your first box and 35% off your next three. So head to hellofresh.co.uk and use the code CRIME then start the fun part. 
choosing your favourite recipes for your first box. Before we begin, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, especially this week's new members of this exclusive club. That's Victoria Norris, James Paris, Rachel Gibbs and Sophie Daniels. Thank you so much for your support, which is really, really appreciated. And there's a special competition for Patreon members this week, where you and a friend can join me on Wednesday the 4th of March at a production of Wax by Michael Punter. It's a great show. It's on at Theatre in London. March the 4th, we can have some drinks before and after the show and watch great crime theatre. Check Patreon for full details. Let's take a quick look at the music we were listening to at the time of today's events. Rather than tell you now, I will see if you can guess the month and the year. The fun just never stops on this podcast. Top of the charts was Michael Jackson with the awful Earth song. At number three was Mike Flowers Pops with the equally awful version of Wonderwall. And in the US, the top spot was filled by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men with One Sweet Day. And the top selling album in Australia this year, ironically, was Alanis Morissette with Jagged Little Pill. In the news this month, the first version of the Java programming language was released. Monica Sellers and Boris Becker won at the Australian Open. And in UK true crime news, Ian and Kevin Maxwell, sons of the late media crook Robert Maxwell, were cleared of fraud at the Old Bailey after a trial lasting 11 days. The month was, have you guessed it, January 1996. So on to today's story. What do you think of when you hear the words Stratford-upon-Avon? The market town in Warwickshire, around 90 miles northwest of London, is best known for arguably being the birthplace of William Shakespeare, and because of this it draws a very large number of visitors every year, approaching 3 million people. But away from the sights in the town and the picturesque river that runs through it, like all parts of the UK there are less pleasant parts including the kinds of estates where times are always pretty tough for the residents, with social issues, and some would argue a real lack of role models inspiring the young people to see what they could achieve in their lives. And it is on one such estate, the dreary and rather bleak Clopton estate, that we pick up the story in 1996. One woman talking to the independent newspaper about this estate said, People were always fighting, but only in scuffles. All you ever got was a black eye. No one ever ended up in hospital. It was the sort of place where more residents than in most communities were in jail, and everyone knew someone who would be happy to carry out some sort of a crime, usually relatively minor offences. There were some families and people who were particularly feared, and none more so than David Collins, who was known as the hard man of Stratford his fighting, I should add. He was no stranger to violence and the lessons he taught his own children weren't out of the standard good parents manual. For example, when his own son Damien was 16, he would goad him into getting involved in fights to establish his place in the pecking order, as this is what he thought was important for his son. And if Damien was ever unwilling, it was said that his dad threatened him until he did what his dad saw as the right thing, and one time David even attacked his terrified son with a baseball bat. Coming from this background, it won't surprise you to hear that Damien developed into a particularly unpleasant bully. And one of his main targets were his neighbours from two doors away, the Erskine family. 47-year-old Dorothy Erskine was born in Malta and ambitious for her twin sons 
Anthony and Ian, and their older sister Natalie and brother Gary. Being a hard worker herself and used to being surrounded by people who felt the same way, had the same work ethic, she struggled to understand the behaviour of many of the people on the estate. Her 53-year-old husband Harry also put in the hours, working at a local cannery. Their protective parents tried to distance their boys from the kids of the estate, and Anthony, who was academically strong, went to school some distance away. But the fact the family were different caused them issues. Particularly Anthony the family were the Collins family two doors away, he saw them as stuck up in their attitudes as they had bought their three-bedroom home and they perceived that they tended to look down on some other people on the estate. Again talking to the independent newspaper, one local resident described how she saw it. The Erskines thought they were topper than everyone else. I think it was because they have a bought house and they are more respectable. And another eloquent neighbour said, They thought their kids were more than borstal kids, living where the shit don't stink. But another neighbour provided a much more charitable view of the situation. Look, they worked hard for their kids and suffered from jealousy. And of course, the final analysis is the correct one. They were terrified by the lack of ambition and drive all around them in the children and sadly many of the parents. All they wanted was the very best for their children as most parents do. The two brothers, although very different, were very close and looked after each other, watching the others back, whatever the situation. Ian was six foot tall, with a real temper, which got him into a fair amount of trouble. Nothing serious, but just a few bits and pieces. He struggled academically and socially, finding it very hard to make friends. He attended a special school for children with difficulties, and when he left school he managed to find a job after struggling for a long time to find one. But keeping the job proved very difficult for Ian, and within weeks he had been let go. He had struggled with bullying growing up, and his supportive parents and siblings were his constant rock amidst all the turbulence of his young life. Anthony was very different. He was very popular with a wide circle of friends. Physically, he had a much smaller frame and build, and he was kind, funny, resilient, and particularly calm whatever the situation. He'd enjoyed a holiday job when at school at Stratford Egg Farm, if that's the term, enjoying it, but he then moved on to the Debenhams department store, which he enjoyed and he was a really strong performer. When we joined the story in January 1996, he'd done well and recently won the Employee of the Month award. As much as anyone can have a bright future in high street retail, Anthony seemed to be heading that way. That is, unfortunately, as we hear so often on this podcast, until one perfectly normal, unremarkable day in January, when everything changed. One of 16-year-old Damien Collins' mates was 22-year-old Mark Hemmons. Between them and their pals, the two boys abused the whole of the Erskine family, Shocking as it is to hear, even the parents. There had been so many incidents, including threats to damage the family car and smash the windows of the house, in addition to the everyday verbal abuse suffered by all the family members. It was the evening of the 3rd of January, that depressing time when Christmas and New Year are over, the resolutions have already been broken and life is getting back to normal. 
53-year-old Harry Erskine was walking home from work to his house when he saw Hemmons, Collins and others hanging around on a street corner, as was often the case. Hemmons, who had been drinking, went up to Harry aggressively saying, I hate your guts, Erskine. What are you going to do about it? Sensibly, avoiding trouble, Harry just put his head down and hurried back to the house, being the bigger man. When there, he told the rest of the family about the upsetting incident which had just occurred. His son Anthony got to his feet, saying to his dad that he was going outside to talk to them and sort it out. But what happened next was just the most appalling unnecessary violence. Just by his own front garden, Hemmons pushed Anthony over and then Collins and others joined him attacking Anthony. Anthony went down under the rain of blows and trying to protect himself, he curled into a ball, at least trying to shelter his head and his groin. His dad Harry came to the door to see just a few feet from him his son being brutally attacked with Hemmons and Collins using his head as if it was a football. The attack only lasts two minutes, but Anthony, who was only a very slight seven and a half stone man, was left lying unconscious on the ground. And tragically, Anthony choked on his own blood and he died on his own front garden that January evening. He was just 19 years old when he had his life cruelly snatched away. The cowardly pair of attackers raced away from the scene, heading just over 10 miles away from the incident to Shipton on Stour, where they hoped to stay with friends. But for whatever reason, this didn't quite work out, and they then had to make the long journey back to Stratford on foot. I wonder how that felt for them and how the conversation went. Were they elated at what they'd done? Or now were they just terrified young men, who'd realised too late that such terrible violence always has wide-reaching repercussions for so many people? Either way, they were very much amateurs, and the police soon found them hiding in the loft of a nearby house and took them into custody. When interviewed, they admitted they'd been at the scene of the attack and had taken part in the violence, but they said that murder had never been their intention. They were charged with murder. The 10-day trial took place at Birmingham Crown Court, and at the conclusion, the jury of seven women and five men took eight and a half hours to return majority verdicts of 10 to 2 on both defendants, finding them guilty of murder. As the verdicts were announced, reality hit for both. Hemmons held his head in his hands, visibly fighting back the tears welling in his eyes. And Collins mouthed, no way, shouting to his grandma, don't worry, before being led away to the cells to begin his sentence. Delivering the sentences, Justice Keane jailed Hemmons for life and ordered the teenager Collins to be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure. He said, This was a vicious and cowardly attack, the two of you against one. The worst of the violence was inflicted whilst he was lying quite helpless on the ground. The judge made it quite clear it had been Collins who had kicked Anthony repeatedly in the head, leading directly to his death. After the trial, Anthony's mum Dorothy said, My son has got justice, I am pleased, but my son is dead, and two more lives have been ruined. It doesn't solve anything. She told how back in 1988, she launched a petition to deal with the local people who made life in misery for so many, not just her, but she wondered if that had made things worse for her own family, and in her worst nightmares, she wondered if that had contributed to Anthony's death, she said. 
Sometimes I wonder if I kept my mouth shut would my son still be alive. I just don't know what I feel anymore. I can't answer my own question. My only mistake was that I thought I could get help, but help was not there. All I know is that had we moved out of the house, he would still be alive. This is not the end, but another chapter in a terrible nightmare. We cannot look forward to the future of any confidence. There have even been threats since my son died. The harassment has not stopped. And Anthony's sister Natalie also spoke and said that her brother, Ian, who had suffered his shared birthday with his twin Anthony during the murder trial, had actually been receiving threats from the killers and added, they keep saying he will end up in a coffin like his brother. And in 1999, those words became even more poignant as Ian Erskine disappeared one Thursday. He was discovered two days later on a Saturday morning hanging from a tree. The place he had chosen to take his own life was woodland known as Welcome Hills, a place that he'd shared happy memories playing with Anthony and his family as a young boy. The independent newspaper quoted local resident Peggy Bragazzi, a lady whose flat was used by the Erskine boys and some of their pals to hang out. She said, They were glued together. The twins were inseparable. They stuck together through thick and thin. If one got into trouble, the other would try to cover up. But if Ian had been the one to die first, Anthony would have survived. He would have been able to hold off. Anthony was more stable. Ian was always nervous and fidgety. Anthony looked after him because he was the stronger one. Ian and Anthony's sister Natalie made a statement telling how just before Anthony died, the twins' best friend had been killed in a car accident and it affected them greatly. And then how following Anthony's death, a lot of Ian's support network disappeared as the popular Anthony's friends found Ian much more difficult to hang around with. He was more abrasive, I guess. And so Ian didn't have that wider support group around him. And then just before Ian's death, he had broken up with his girlfriend, someone else he could talk openly with about his feelings. And this split was made even more painful after Ian found out she'd been pregnant with twins and had chosen to have an abortion. The Independent newspaper reported that after Anthony's death, Ian had been admitted to psychiatric care in recent years, but his mental health appeared to be declining. On the Sunday before he died, he visited Peggy Brigazzi to take her Sunday lunch, a kind gesture carried out by the family weekly, showing just what nice people they were, and Ian had spoken to her that day. He thought his friends had neglected him, she recalled. He couldn't hold a job down, and I think he felt he wasn't doing as well as he should have been. After Ian's death, the mum of Mark Hammonds, one of the men who murdered Anthony, also spoke to the independent newspaper, saying she felt sympathy for Dorothy Erskine, adding, She has always been pleasant to me. Even after Anthony's death, there was no nastiness, no threats, nothing. But I am grieving too for my son. In the last couple of months, I have found myself coming out of work crying, and you don't stop all day. I thought it was all blowing over, but now with Ian dying as well, it's all started again. And also in 1999, finally, Tragedy hit yet another family involved in this story. This time it was 22-year-old Leon Collins, elder brother of Damien. He died of a drugs overdose in a flat in Stratford-upon-Avon the day after being released from prison. So what do you make of what we've heard today? 
It's hard to imagine how the friends and families of the Erskines feel, having lost two of their sons in such dreadful circumstances. And the torment poor Ian must have felt after losing his brother. And can you imagine the reality of living on the estate for a hard-working family just wanting to live their best lives as nearly all of us do? I found it especially shocking that on the day of Anthony's murder, the gang of louts felt emboldened enough to insult Anthony's 53-year-old dad, Harry. Of course, in the UK, there are other cases of gangs attacking and murdering older people. Most notably, I suppose, the terrible death of Gary Newlove. Do you remember that story? He was murdered outside his home trying to prevent a gang from vandalising his car. As you'll probably know, his wife Helen has campaigned tirelessly for the rights of victims of crime since her husband's death. Take a look at the really worthwhile work she's doing. And what of the two murderers, Collins and Hemmons? In a way, I guess you could argue that we should have some sympathy for Collins as he was raised in such an unpleasant way. But then again, there are plenty of examples of people with much worse backgrounds who turn their lives around. And then there is his accomplice, Hemmons. His mum's comments after Ian's death reminds us that his family are too serving a hefty sentence for the actions of their son. And this is the crux of the point we see so many times on this podcast. Those two minutes, just two minutes of violence, didn't just leave Anthony dead, but also destroyed so many other lives over so many other years. And in the end, I think we have to ask, just for what purpose? It all seems just so pointless. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK true crime, please head to the UK True Crime Facebook group and join over 13,000 of us. You will be made very, very welcome. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. Join in the competition to join me to watch Wax at the Theatre in March and also access almost 40 bonus episodes and other exclusive content, all for the price of a dodgy pint of lager. And you'll have that warm, fuzzy feeling from helping your 57th favourite true crime podcaster keep producing episodes. What more could you want? A trip to the sauna, maybe? So that's all from me for this week. So until we speak again soon, next week to be more precise, do head over to BetterHelp and HelloFresh, and don't forget to get your tickets for Podcast Live. Watching me stumbling through recording this podcast should be entertaining in so many ways. And you think you find Alan Partridge or The Office awkward. Anyway, that's all to come in April. So for now, enjoy the rain, take it easy, and most of all, do stay classy. Cheerio for now. <laughs>